Okay, who's excited to receive the word this morning? That's good. All right. Now, is there someone sitting in this row here? Henry? Okay, so they're good. Because one thing I wanted to say to all of our church peeps is this may seem like a really practical thing, but the Holy Spirit's really put on my heart for us, even when it comes to just where we sit, to kind of, kind of huddle in a little bit, right? Just kind of cuddle each other a little bit, not in a weird way, but I'm just saying, you know, our seat allocation, we're just trying something a little bit. You know, can I tell you that when it comes to just a couple of little practical things, let me give you a little bit of teaching here, just on, on, on a couple of things here. Um, you know, Jesus was big on atmosphere, he, inv- he wanted people to go to people's homes. He was, he was quite deliberate on, if he wanted to meet with someone, he was deliberate on who he chose to bring with him because he was deliberate about dynamics. He was de- deliberate about how the conversation flowed because a lot of times the way Christ ministered was through food and conversation in people's homes. And uh, so just in terms of, you know, uh, remember when M- Mary and Martha were there and he had a bit of a go at Martha because Martha's all distracted, kind of not really focusing, whereas Mary was kind of really hanging in with Jesus and it, she was kind of at his feet. And, and she really praised Mary and, and, and he, really, he really praised Mary and he really kind of rebuked Martha in a little way because she kind of just didn't have the right priority. I want to encourage you, when you come to church, as, as, a, as a family, as a, as a house here, imagine that when you're sitting, we're kind of all kind of at a dinner table and we're partaking in worship, we're partaking in the presence and uh, so I want to encourage you to fill the seats, to, uh, to come in, to not be afraid if there's another human being sitting right next to you. Okay, sometimes in church it's like, I need to have a spare seat next to me because, you know, I need to put my handbag there. I need to put my sunglasses there. Can I just say, I feel like the Holy Spirit's just saying, it's okay if we come close to each other. It's important for us to be able to connect with each other. And can I just say, because we're a great church, we all wear deodorant. It's okay. You don't have to be afraid of any reason why we don't sit with each other. Okay, is that cool? Cool. So I want to encourage you, uh, moving forward as a church community, that I want to encourage you to help out by building community, by connecting a little bit, all right? And so it's important for us to, uh, don't, don't, don't be the person, if you've been coming for at least, uh, you know, a year, can I say to you, you shouldn't be sitting at the back row. Come on, you should come a little bit more forward, because the back row is a great thing for first-time visitors. Okay, we've got our first-time visitors who come in because they're trying to park, and, and you know, they're trying to get themselves sorted, so a lot of times they might come in late. And then it's great just to slot them in at the back. So I want to encourage everyone, if this is your local church, if this is your home church, please help us by when you come and sit. Sometimes what we're going to do is I've just been given fresh training. Where's our host team? Where's our service managers here today? Can I get our service managers just to stand for us? Okay, so we've got Jenny here. Where's Wayne? He's out the back, is he? There he is. There's Wayne. So everyone see Wayne here. You see Jenny. So I just want everyone to practically know. I'm just spending a couple of minutes. You can, you can turn around and face everyone. There we go. Okay. So these guys are doing an amazing job, um, and there's some of our service team. And so what happens is they're rostered on every month. And, uh, for example, during the service uh, when we started, I intentionally went back with them and I just helped them out a little bit to encourage them. And it's okay. For example, I'm just going to, you may think, why is, is this Brad's message? No, this is not about now and forever. Okay. But I want to encourage us to take ownership of your local church vision. I don't want to encourage you, this is your home. This is not just somewhere where you kind of, you know, someone's prepared something for you, so you just rock up. I mean, imagine if you went to your family home, you just rock up, and you don't really take any insight into being hospitable and seeing if everyone's kind of comfortable where they're sitting. I want to encourage you, if this is your local church, you need to take it. There needs to be something in your heart where you're interested to make sure that people feel welcome, that they feel connected, that everyone's comfortable. So, for example, when we had our service team in, 
we had this beautiful, I won't embarrass them too much, but this beautiful family here, her first time visitors who came in, okay, and then we didn't really have any um, people sitting. So what I did was I, I noticed it was someone here by themselves sitting, so I just tapped them on the shoulders. I said, is it okay if you just take a seat in here because there was a place in here? And I took another person and I sat them in here so we could fill these rows up. And then we had the whole row at the back there to fill. Now, can I tell you, it may seem like a little, little tiny thing, but rather than doing that, the temptation is, is that we just put out an another row. And then we put out another row. And the problem is by the time kids leave after worship, there's these massive pockets of holes. And it kind of like seems like people are separated because there's like this, you know, massive voids of holes. And can I tell you, little tiny things like that actually affect the atmosphere. It, it affects, you know, the sense of community, the sense, little practical things, just as practical things of why do we put so much time and effort in how we set our dinner table when we've got guests coming over? Why do we make sure that the light's nice? Why do we make sure we put fresh candles in? Why do we make sure that we, we polish, we make sure that all the dishes and the glassware is clean? We do that because all those little things add up to make someone feel more comfortable, to make them feel more special. So please, this is not my sermon, <laughs> right? I don't think the gospel is anchored on, you know, how closely we sit together. But can I just tell you on, you know, on a little, little kind of practical thing, all these things add up and they all count to helping us to build community, helping us to build an atmosphere where the Word of God can flow, there's less distraction, and the worship can be more united and a feeling of community. Can I get everyone to say yes to that? Awesome. Okay. Cool. Thank you. All right. Now, we're going to look at this message called Now and Forever. So you can see here on the screen, Now and Forever. And this is actually something different I'm going to do today. I liked, for those of you who know me, you know that I like to mix things up. I don't like to kind of just do the same thing over and over again. But um, I'm going to do something a little bit different in that I really felt the Lord wanted me to bring some teaching around these two themes. That as a man and woman of God, it's important for us to have an understanding of now. You know, you know that there are some people of God on planet Earth who think that Jesus is coming. I mean, he is definitely coming, but they think that he's coming. Um, and so because he's coming, that there's no really real point to really focus on now. Let's just all store up some stuff underneath the garage and just wait around until he, he turns up. But God is interested in you having influence now in your world. And he's also interested in how you relate to the house of God now and you having an understanding of where you fit when it comes to the body of Christ now. God wants us to have a revelation of now. He wants us to be people in season. He wants us to understand what is it that we're called to do in 2016. What are you putting your time to? What are you doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to build your life? He wants us to be people of now. Can everyone say now? But also what is important in Christendom is that when we are people who are focused on now, that we don't lose sight of the greater reason of why we're here, and that is because of forever. Um, not as in the name of our church, as in the reality that there is a forever, there is an eternity, that uh, we are not bound by time, but because we're giving our hearts to Jesus Christ, becoming men and women of God under the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we have an eternal promise that we will live forever. And uh, this morning, I want us to understand that it's important moving forward that we have a balanced revelation of these two things, that God is interested in our, our, our now. He's interested in your life now. He's interested in what you're doing in 2016. He's interested in what you're building and what you're focusing on. He's for it. Last week I talked about that if there are giants in your pathway towards your goals, as long as you're in God's direction and God's heartbeat is attached to your goals, then the giant that's in your pathway is also in, in, in God's pathway.
pathway. So God's just got as much of interest as you do to get rid of the giants that are restricting you from breaking through into what he wants to see happen now in your world. But also God wants to make sure that we don't lose the revelation um, and, the, and the importance of also being people who have an, an internal perspective. And that what we're doing now should have some connection or contribution to forever. It should have some connection or contribution to the kingdom. It should have some connection or contribution to forever. Can I just tell you that Sarah and I just recently have had some conversations in, you know, at nights where we're having a date night and we've just been talking more about how it's important to keep sharpening that focus, the forever focus on your life because otherwise we can start to get into this, you know, it's me and my goals and everything that I'm doing but we lose perspective as to the eternal focus that God wants us to keep fresh in our heart. Have I got anyone here who agrees with this? So it's about having this uh, ability to keep evaluating where your focus is and your heart is Because sometimes, if you lose sight of the forever factor, you'll lose sight of the why factor. The now factor will be very clear in your mind, and you'll know what to do, what to do, what to do, what to do, but why? Why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? And so it's important for you and I, for us to be filled with joy, for us to have a life where we're enjoying it. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard at times. There's going to be storms that we have to get through. But for us to be able to connect ourselves to this eternal joy, knowing that there's an eternity, there's something beyond just what we see, that uh, God is a mighty God that we worship, that there's angels that are uh, worshiping him, that there is a mighty plan that was released from heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ, and that he has actually conquered sin and death, and he is alive, sitting on the right-hand side of the Father, and he's actually, um, he's interceding for the body of Christ, and he's released the Holy Spirit to empower you and I to actually walk out the mission called the body of Christ on earth right now for an eternal purpose. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm kind of structuring my message a little bit like a buffet, kind of what I call a now and forever buffet. You know how when you go to a buffet and sometimes you might have a little bit of savory? You go back to your, your, your seat and you bit of savory. And then you might see something a bit sweet, so you might go and have something sweet. And then you feel like a bit of savory again. There's those prawns. Those prawns are really good, so you're going to have more of that, but you're going to try something else next time. And then you might have something sweet. So you're going to kind of go back and forth. But we're going to kind of do that today a little bit with the word in that I want to bring um, some principles around having a now focus, but also having a forever focus. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. First thing I wanted to start with is now. We're going to everyone say now. And this is linking a little bit to kind of how we started the year and the importance of a progressive vision. So I want to start with Proverbs chapter 28 verse 19. It says here, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Uh, the King James Version says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. So many people seem to lack vision in their lives. And, and I've sometimes seen young people, particularly that when we say they lack vision, I've seen a lot of uh, young people in my world, in my life, not necessarily young people here, but I'm seeing young people in general, who actually lack what we call purpose for their lives. And they tend to live aimlessly, and there's no real reason why uh, they need to restrain their life. They're lacking restraint. There's no real reason. There's no purpose. There's not a reason why they should say no to things. Um, and so finding a sense of vision and purpose we know is critical. But I call this healthy disturbance. Can everyone say healthy disturbance? 
And so healthy disturbance is about shaking us out of the status quo. It's about shaking us out of just kind of humming along and just doing what we're doing and making sure that we've got clarity. So we should all have a goal to be what continually developing our, continually developing our lives and upgrading our lives in all areas. But this is the key scripture that I, that, that I want to read because I want to talk about the now factor as a church. And we are working... In case there was any confusion, hopefully there's less and less confusion because it's important as a pastor to keep casting vision, to keep clarifying our values, to keep clarifying who we are as a church. That's just basic principles of leading a team of people forward. Um, We are working to build a church that not only stands strong into the future, but also has a strong team so we can impact the community. But our key scripture is Matthew 28, 19, which is all about the Great Commission. Let me read this. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are a discipling church. Can I say this to you? We're not just a soul-winning church. Our emphasis is a discipling church. So what that means is, is we're into seeing people grow. We want to see people get beyond just the milk and actually grow in the things of God. Can everyone say, we are a discipling church? So we've got four people helping. Can I get everyone to say, we are a discipling church? Good. And if, for those of you who ever wondered why sometimes I get you to repeat things, it's because the way that God's designed you is when you speak things out, it actually forces your brain to engage rather than you could just be sitting there going, ah, oh, what's on Facebook? Right? And under these lights, I'd have no idea. <laughs> so it forces you to engage when you have to speak things out. All right. So we are a discipling church. Our goal is not just to see people reach a decision for Christ, not just to do that. It obviously is to do that, but the key word there is not just. Uh, to reach a decision for Christ, but to encourage their spiritual growth and equip them to last the distance on the lifelong journey of discipleship. And so we work together towards these goals that we are a discipling church. So that was just a little bit of a taste from the Now and Forever Buffet. That's a now factor for us. That's our vision. We are a discipling church. I want to encourage you to get that into your now. As a member of this church, part of the vision, you are called to make disciples. You're a part of that vision. You're a part of the answer. You're not just called to kind of, you know, uh, worship God, but you're called to uh, make sure that you're also a part of making disciples, that you're actually having an input to other people. You're encouraging them in their faith. You're praying for people. You're hoping to see people grow in the things of God. You are a disciple maker. By being a disciple, you are called to make disciples yourself. Can everyone say amen to that? So that's a little bit of a now thing. That's what you should be doing now. That's who you are now. That's what you're called to do now. All right, everyone say forever. All right, let's get a little bit of a taste from the forever buffet. Okay, let's raise this question. Is there life after death? It's a really interesting question. Um, We don't often talk about uh, life after that. We probably don't really talk a lot about heaven and hell. We probably should talk more about it. So good thing is I'm going to talk about it right now. Everyone say yippee. Uh, we don't often talk about the afterlife or what happens next. Um, most of us have enough trouble usually getting through the tasks of our day or our week or dealing with a circumstance in our month right now, even as Christians. I think sometimes the reality is we, we are fighting to win in life. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because Jesus said, when the storms come, not if. And so, you know, it is a battle. And a lot of us have to put a lot of energy and a lot of time in trying to break through 
to, to work on the now. And sometimes, just sometimes, I think it's important for us to take a step back and evaluate and think, well, have I been thinking about what actually this all means? Have I been taking some time to think about how am I investing into eternity? What's my perspective of eternity right now? Am I thinking about the fact that there is an eternal promise that should be beating in my heart that there's this place called heaven and I'm going to end up there one day and it's going to be really, really cool? And how amazing it is to actually take the time to bring the revelation of heaven into your now, to take the reality of forever, to take the reality of eternity, that there is actually something, the plan of God that's going to go on and on and on without pain, without sin, without disease, that you're going to be able to laugh and jump around with endless joy in the presence of God. And this is going to be this endless, amazing forever place called your home and it's called heaven. And sometimes to bring the revelation and the truth of that into your now, just to give you some perspective so you don't feel like you're constantly on the treadmill. I've got to build my life. I've got to build my life. Get out of my way, resistance. Get out of my way, problem. <laughs> I've got to build my life. Praying God, how I got to build my life. Get out of my way, resistance. Get out of my way. Just helping to bring the forever factor in. And so most of us have enough time or trouble getting through all of the tasks each day that seems too far away to worry about heaven or to think about heaven. And the subject of death is confronting. But to talk about life and to talk about death and to talk about heaven and to talk about hell is not morbid. Sometimes people think it might be morbid, but it actually isn't morbid. It actually, in fact, helps us to live a life full of meaning and full of life and meaning now. It helps to bring that perspective. Life after death has been portrayed many different ways in books and movies, but what does the Bible say about life after death? The Bible says we are spiritual beings created to be in relationship with God forever and ever and ever and ever. And the Bible says we are someone who has a promise on the inside of us when we give our hearts to Jesus that there is actually the Holy Spirit is like who lives inside of you is our engagement ring. It is the sign of the promise that you and I as eternal beings will live forever in a place called heaven. And tapping into that and allowing your mind to think about the reality of heaven can actually be part of the healing process in this season of now right for you because it brings in that perspective. <clears throat> we can't really talk about heaven without Jesus who was a central message of the gospel. Jesus talks about heaven in John 14, describing it as a home that has already, underline that word already, already been prepared for us. The Bible tells us that heaven and hell are both real places and that it's, it's through a relationship with Jesus and not our good works and not our performance and how great we're doing things in life. It's not through that, but it's through our relationship with Jesus uh, that will determine our eternal destination. Everyone say, preach truth, brother. That's truth right there. Human history began in paradise, the Bible teaches, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And actually, the interesting thing is, it will end in paradise in the places called heaven. The cool thing about heaven is, uh, there will be no sin. There will be, will be no mistakes. There will be, be no pain. The Bible paints a picture of heaven in the book of Revelation as a beautiful city where we will live in community with others, free from the issues that can make relationships so difficult here on earth and now. 
There will be no pain, no suffering or disease. All things will be new and not subject to decay. And it will be joyful, says the Bible. Who likes the idea of living somewhere where there's no sign ever of decay? And there will be never decay. So that means that your, your, your bodies will not deteriorate in heaven. Who likes that? I mean, there's always argument about, do you actually take your, the condition of your body right now? Um, well, you know, there's argument and there's different scripture and people have different opinions. But you know what? I just always hope for the best. I'm hoping that I can eat KFC every day in heaven and feel trim and not have to worry about the calories. Okay? Because KFC right now and I are not getting along because I haven't sp- spoken to KFC for, since January 1. But KFC and I were really good buddies back in 2015. And uh, I've hung up on that phone call. And I'm not picking up that phone for a good while. Amen. Keep praying for me, church. KFC is my weakness. All right. So God understands the thirst. Get this. God understands the thirst and the need for longing to be fulfilled. And the severe challenges that many people have to overcome in there now. God gets it because he came here. Jesus gets that you have a longing to be fulfilled. He gets that you, have a, you want to have a significance in your life, that you want to have purpose, that you want to be filled with joy, that you want to have a sense of peace. He gets that you find it hard to have to battle every single day in your mind, in your heart, to try and persevere, to break through, to become someone of significance. And when you hear the word of God and you hear the reality of Jesus and he speaks into you and he says, you know, you're destined for greatness, there's something on the heartbeat of the man and woman on inside of you that goes, yes, boom, 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 I am destined for greatness, boom, 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 I want that, I'm attracted to the fact that I've got, I'm a person of purpose. I'm a person of significance. So he understands this battle that something of heaven, the calling of heaven, the reality of eternity, this whole thing called building the body of Christ, fighting uh, the, the, the darkness of hell, and actually being a part of this whole thing called Christendom is something that you and I have all been drawn into because it's attractive, because it's true, because it's real, and it's like this massive story. It's this massive journey of significance and purpose and trying to actually, with the power of God, become everything that you're called to be. So he understands that you all should naturally have a desire to have a fulfilled life, an exciting life where you're filled with joy. But also he knows that while we're in the now and we have the heartbeat for forever, it's a struggle. It's tough. It's a fight every day. And so I want to encourage you, church, that if you have struggled in your now, if you've struggled to keep fighting, if you've struggled to get a fresh revelation about why you're keeping trying to break through or why you keep trying to believe a breakthrough in your children or why do you keep praying, I want to tell you, the way to get fresh uh, excitement and passion and drive is to invite the revelation of forever into your now because you are attracted to the revelation of forever. You're attracted to the fact that there's some time that's going to happen beyond us right now uh, into forever where we're going to live in a place where there's no sin, there's no death, there's no misery. It's going to be wonderful and peace and fulfilling. It's just going to be an overflow of the river of God inside of us. And you and I are going to meet by the riverbanks. We're going to have picnics together. We're going to play sport together. We're going to have so much fun together. We're going to have projects in heaven together. We're going to have the best time in eternity, can I tell you? But I want to say to you that don't just think about eternity once in a while. Start to remember and meditate and think about the truth that eternity is something that's real. And you and I are part of eternity, but we want to invite eternity into our now to help us and to empower us to keep fighting in our now. Because our now is tough. Now is tough. There's all, everything you try to do in this planet, 
right? Because it's, it, it, it's a broken world. And this is why we need Jesus in our lives. Sin is a reality. And because we live in a sinful, fallen world, it really is. I mean, you think about sin. What is it? Sin is the resistance towards God. That's why when you find life tough, I find the key word, if I could put my finger on, why is life hard? Why is there always a battle? Why is everything so difficult? It's because you're constantly fighting against resistance. Everything, even if you want to cancel a credit card these days, you know how hard that is. If you just want to pay off a credit card and cancel it, everyone makes it hard. They make you go to the suburb across from the city that you you've never been to before and you have to walk in, you can't cancel over the phone. It doesn't matter what you try to do in your life. There will always be resistance when you're trying to break through. And so now is tough, now is hard, but invite your revelation of forever into your world because it will give you the boost on a daily basis to keep fighting. The greatest misconception people have is thinking that if you are good enough, you will go to heaven. The Bible does does warn against this in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God's standard is perfection, and so he took our sins. He, he created the solution for us. He took our sins upon himself, allowing Jesus to die on the cross as a perfect and worthy sacrifice, granting us all the freedom of choice to enter in a, into a relationship with him and the free gift of eternal life. Death is not a full stop but a comma, church. Death is a comma, and as you begin to consider eternity, it will not only change what happens next, it will not only influence your now as you keep thinking about the reality of eternity, but also it gives you a fresh perspective on life now, and also it gives you a fresh perspective of why do you and I, why do you and I have to get over a fear of rejection and a fear of By reaching out to people. I always encourage people to understand that we're not necessarily all called to be ordained as evangelists, but every single one of us are called to witness to the reality and the truth that Jesus Christ is alive and living on the inside of you. Now, can I say this to you? I reckon one of the best ways to resurrect a hunger and desire in you to want to have the bravery and the boldness to share the gospel and your testimony Your testimony is one of the most powerful things the Bible says as something that counteracts the power of the enemy. Your testimony is a weapon of warfare. No one can argue against your actual experience. Have you ever noticed that? When you share your story, people go, well, that didn't happen. They can't say that to you. People cannot argue against your own story. That's why it's a weapon of warfare against the kingdom of darkness. Can I say to you this morning, church, that if you've been a little bit flat, first of all, no one, not, not everyone here, sorry, not no one, there are some people that are called to this, but not everyone here is called to be ordained as an evangelist. But we're all called, can everyone say all? We are all called to witness. We are all called to witness. And I think the important thing is that if you've ever fallen flat on the idea of that, it happens at times. Because it's called resistance. Can I, can I say this to you? Be prepared that when you share your testimony or where you share your gospel, the Bible actually says not everyone's going to accept it. I mean, think about it this way. Jesus Christ himself was actually walking in front of people. He was actually, you know, doing all these miracles and people still rejected him. So if Jesus himself 
and was actually, Jesus himself was performing miracles and people still rejected him. Some of those people actually were the catalyst for nailing him to the cross. Don't you think it actually is wise that when we go to step out and to share our story, just to be pre-prepared to know that not everyone is actually going to accept it. Not everyone's going to get saved because we share our story, we share the truth, or we share the gospel. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't share it, church. Come on now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't share it. And so I want to encourage you that to play your part, to do your bit, to reach out to people in your world and to have the bravery and the boldness to share because I'm telling you, there is a heaven and there's also a hell. Do you know that the Bible talks about that hell is it, it, it's the most miserable place where literally that uh, the fires of hell actually eat away at the flesh of people when they're in hell and then it regenerates and then it eats away again. In the book of Revelation, it talks about this, this horrible, continuous, ongoing, it's an eternal pain source. That's what hell is. You know, it's that someone is forever going to be constantly feeling ongoing pain and torture. And it's our duty to understand that when we have the revelation of truth and we have the revelation of forever, that you and I have the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. He's living on the inside of us. And you and I are called to witness to this world that Jesus Christ is alive, that Jesus Christ is the light in the darkness, that Jesus Christ is the salt of the world, that Jesus Christ is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the author and creator of all things, that Jesus Christ is the savior, that Jesus Christ is the redeemer, that Jesus Christ is the king of kings, Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is our healer and our deliverer, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life, that Jesus Christ is real. It's your call, you're called to be a witness. Now and forever. Everyone say, it's time to have a little bit of the now buffet again. <laughs> now buffet, a bit of a nibble on the now buffet. Let's go back to the now. All right, I want to talk to you about placement and planting and people. See, when we think about the vision of this church, we don't think about buildings and programs and strategies. We don't think about those things in terms of the vision of the church. We know that there's some of the practical realities. But what we think about is a culture of people being discipled and being encouraged to grow in the things of God and to sharpen. And so a culture that empowers people to be all they can be, like a family, but always with room for more at the table. Church, church is designed to be the birthplace of dreams. The house of God is called to be the birthplace of dreams. This place where you are placed, where you're positioned, is called to be a birthplace of dreams. In Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's a very inspiring verse. But let's put this verse into context. Jeremiah was no success story at the time. His people were exiles in Babylon who had no culture and they had no heritage of their own. They had no sense of real purpose, no real sense of vision. They were kind of just wandering in life. And his dream of seeing his city rebuilt seemed like a pure fantasy to him. God had to help him to get a vision for his own life despite his circumstances so that God could use him to have a vision for the entire nation of Israel. And just like Jeremiah, you and I, we are placed where we are right at this moment, even if it feels sometimes like you're in exile 
Even if it feels not comfortable because you might be in a place of growth, you might be a place right now where God is challenging you or your mentors are challenging you or the Word of God is challenging you. But we are placed right here at the moment for a particular reason. When we realize we are placed, it changes our perspective on situations, giving them real purpose. It's then my responsibility, once I see that God has actually placed me somewhere, everyone say, it's my responsibility. It's my... (laughs) Someone had a good go with that accent then. Good. I like that. I really like that. It's my responsibility to become planted to invest, grow, and thrive in that place. Finally, it's the people you encounter in that place that can then unlock potential and have an an eternal impact on you. So what I'm saying here is it's time to see our life the way God sees it. Don't let your present circumstance become the ceiling of your future. Like Jeremiah, you may feel robbed of your dream right now. Take your place at the table. Take your place in the house of God. Make it your own. Invest into the lives of those around you, and it will lead you to a life of new vision. So let me just quickly give a couple of scriptures here in Ephesians 2.19. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. The New Living Translation goes on and says, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So what I want to talk about here is a couple of things. First of all, placement. Everyone say placement. This is about your now. God's placement. In Psalm 68.6, God places the lonely in families. Let me read that again. Psalm 68.6, God places the lonely in families. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So we need to belong to a specific church family, somewhere where we can both receive and contribute, not just be floating around on your own. Somewhat similar to the way we can't get to choose the family we're born into, we need to accept and embrace the church that God has set us in. Whatever route brought you to this church, God was involved in the process. Who believes that? He wants us in a particular place for a particular purpose. When we embrace God's placement, we are on the way to finding solidifying, locking in, and breaking into our God-given purpose. What's really critical about placement is knowing that it's not just God, but it's actually part of your responsibility, linking to this next part about planting. Everyone say planting. Wherever you are in your life, whatever experiences you've had with the house of God, whether you were raised as a Christian, whether you had a Saul being knocked off his donkey moment, whether you've been in church life for a while and then had a season where you kind of went away for a while because you got over it, you were into Jesus. You, know you know that movement called I'm into Jesus, but I don't really like his bride. Jesus is attractive, but his bride's really ugly right now. Bit of nervous laughter there. Maybe some of you are still kind of processing that. Amen. But if, if you're someone who's, you know, you're into church, you invested heavily in church for a season, and then you kind of, you know, you got over it for whatever reason, 
First of all, God gets all of the stuff. He gets it. He understands it. He sees it. He knows what happens. But I want to say this to you. I've, I had a Saul knocking off the donkey moment. I'm married to someone that was raised as a Christian. And I've personally experienced a season where it's like, Jesus, I really like you, but I'm not really sure about your wife. So also, as a leader here, I get all of that. I get all of it. I understand all of it. But let me say this to you. None of it is an excuse of why you are not called to respond. Let's look at the word responsibility, the ability to respond. See, I know this to be true, that when you actually go and speak to Jesus about your issues with his wife, he's smart enough and wise enough to give you enough time and help you to process things and to bring healing into your world. But he's also smart enough and wise enough to know that his wife, called the Bride of Christ, is actually a part of the plan and the architect and the blueprint of heaven to help to release you and position you and implant you and to release you into what you have. And he knows that as you continue not to actually reconcile back to the Bride of Christ, it will, there will always be a blockage. There will always be something that just makes your dream that much harder to break through into. Can I hear an amen to that? And so I want to encourage you that the planting of God, recognizing that God has placed me in a specific church family is just the start. We're a bit like pot plants. The roots can't go down very deep until they're planted into good soil. And if you've ever planted a sizable tree, you know it takes quite a bit of work to dig a large enough hole and carefully plant it. It's only once we are properly planted in the house of God where real things start to happen. And that our spiritual lives will really flourish and really thrive. And not just for a season, not just for a short bird of breakthrough, and then we go back into the, the challenges, but actually getting planted. I want everyone to close your eyes and think about this. How planted am I? I want everyone, as you've got your eyes closed, just to have personal privacy between you and the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask this question. Answer this question in your headspace. If everyone had the same attitude in the heart as I do to the house of God, would, would our church be healthy? Or our church be unhealthy? I want you to, I'm going to repeat that. If everyone, and have an honest moment with yourself, don't have a superficial conversation with yourself where you're just giving yourself the nice polished little answer. Because good news is no one can hear this, particularly me. I can't hear this. Pastor Brad can't hear the answer in your headspace. So have a little honest moment. If everyone in this place had exactly the same attitude that you have towards the house of God, would the house of God be a healthy place? Meaning... Are you taking responsibility for the attitude that you have towards the house of God that God's positioned you and planted you in? Because let's put, it, let's put it this way. Everyone open your eyes. If everyone had a healthy attitude and if everyone actually took responsibility for managing their attitude about actually getting planted in the house and owning it's part of then we would have a culture that was just 100% healthy. Now, this actually is a healthy church. This is a very healthy church. But my word here this morning is to say that every individual contributes to how we're going and where we're going and how we're working together as a team. I want to say this to you. If you've got an unhealthy attitude towards the house of God, it is your responsibility and your responsibility alone to get that sorted out. Stop blaming. Stop blaming what happened to you five years ago. Stop blaming your old church. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I mean, we could bring out the whole 
Oh, please don't get me started. Anything Zara says with the frozen characters on it. Oh, bye, 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 bye. No. Maybe, just maybe, there's, a, there's something in your headspace that says, you know what, I like forever. I like this place. I like forever house. Maybe there's some things, you know, you don't like or if you had the ability, you'd change. I get that. But can I say this to you? Is if there's something that's stopping you from actually getting planted, and when I say by planted, I don't mean like you hear Monday to Friday from 10 to 3 p.m. cleaning the toilets. Okay, we've all got stuff in our life to work on. Everyone's working, everyone's got stuff on. But can I say that... If you're someone who kind of, you know, it's kind of like your beginning of the year, you're like, yep, all right, forever house, I want to I get planted, right? We always teach here, don't commit to too many things, but we also say make sure you are contributing. We're all about balance because we've seen it's a negative both ways. If you're not really contributing, for those of you who are visiting or kind of sussing out our church for the last couple of months, I'm not talking to you guys. We know there's a season where you're trying to work out, is this for you? And we, we get all that. That's cool. I'm talking just right now to the people where you've, you've been here for a significant amount of time. Um, but I want to say to you, I want to challenge that you've got to take responsibility for getting planted. And any kind of frustration you've had to do with church in the past, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you and talk. Because I can tell you, the more time that you delay getting planted in the house of God... Um, it's going to create some restrictions for you. It will create some restrictions in actually being able to get everything, all the nutrients out of that, that that house is called, every anointing. There may be even some relational blockages where you're kind of connecting with people, but there's just something that's not quite there. It's like it's just not quite clicking over. And I'll tell you, all of these things are about starting with this in now factor, because we're talking about the now factor of taking responsibility of getting planted. The key, it's up to each of us to get ourselves planted. There are people who can help us. We have uh, Cassie and Jeremy who head up assimilation. Can everyone, uh, everyone just applaud Cassie and Jeremy? I'll get these guys to stand. Let's come up from here. It's a beautiful couple. So under the lights, everyone can see your beautiful faces. Don't hesitate. Come on. We don't hesitate to... Okay. Aren't they beautiful people? Okay, now... These guys are head, head up our assimilation team. Our assimilation team is all about how do we get people connected into the church? How do we get them to feel like they belong? And so uh, these guys meet with new people. Um, they'll follow them up. They'll give them a call. They'll encourage them to come back again. They'll see if they want to do a, a new Christians course, Believe course, or if, there's, uh, if they want to be part of Forever Life or Forever Young. They let them about conferences. They get it, you know teach them about how they can get involved. But they talked about the basic principles that when you get born into the kingdom of God, it is about you and it is about what Jesus can do for you, but it's also about how you respond to also what you can now do for his greater mission called the, the house of God. And that that's a big key. So let's give these guys another round of applause. I just wanted to highlight that we have a great team. You guys take a seat. So there are people who can help us, but ultimately, it's my job. Everyone say, it's my job. It's my responsibility. Now, can I just say this on a personal note? This is not directed at any individual. So if you hear this, you think, oh, he's talking to me, which sometimes people do. 
They think it's all about them. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't write this sermon to speak to an individual. Amen. Holy Spirit said, preach this, don't hold back. Because we've had the best start to our church. I actually, we had a great couple over for dinner. Where's Cornelia and Salada? Beautiful couple. There they are at the back there. Man, God's doing great things in their family and their life right now. Amazing uh, breakthroughs in their life. And so we had them over dinner and we talked about uh, stuff and life and God and connected with them. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they take an interest. And they said, so, you know, where's the church at in your hearts and that kind of thing? And so we just um, answered. Honestly, one of the things I said was, um, this is, I think our church is at the healthiest place it's ever been. Because I was really honest with them. I mean, it's been five years pioneering a church. It's really hard to... Uh, can I just t- t- say this to you? It's not easy. Ministry is not easy. There's so many things. There's principalities and powers. When you're trying to uh, get a church happening with a couple of people in, in your living room, and uh, there's all these things that happen. And, and you know, when you start, first start a church, you need help. And you don't have the luxury or the license to really test people's character all that much. You just need people to get on board and volunteer and help out wherever they can. All right. And so over the first couple of seasons, you know, you give people opportunity and maybe their character's not really tested and it all goes pear-shaped because, you know, they're not really who you thought they were going to be and you thought that they were going to be honest and all right. You know, we don't need to go there. But, you know, the reality is, is it's not easy. But we are in the healthiest place. We have the most amazing teams. We have uh, people who, you know, things aren't perfect here, but we talk about where we can improve things, how we can work better together. You know, we're always uh, talking with people, people giving them their feedback about how we're going. But we have the best team. We have the best core people. Uh, we've, we've got people that are tested, that are proven in their character. There are key fundamentals of the kingdom that's evident here, loyalty. Uh, people uh, speak well of each other. All these types of things. But I want to say this to you, okay? I want to say this to you personally, is that we get it because we're actually, this is not our career, okay? Now, I always speak highly of all other pastors, but majority of other pastors, their ministry in their church is their career. It's everything that they do. So apart from their family, they're, they're doing everything about the church. And that's cool. That's what they're called to do. This is our calling, but this is not our career. We work full-time in the marketplace just as much as what you do. Come on now. I want to speak honestly with you. And so can I say, if, 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 if we have stuff going on in the marketplace, and if we're doing everything we're doing in the marketplace to build our marketplace vision, but we're able to rock up here every Sunday faithfully, come on now. I want to say this before you. We are setting an example here to say to you guys, you can be consistently planted and serve your church, not get overcommitted and have an imbalance and then get burnt out, but you can take responsibility for actually, as a disciple, you are called to have a relationship with your local church. doesn't matter how big and grand your marketplace dream is, and we've got a pretty big and grand marketplace dream that we're going for. And we're here cheering you on. But I want to tell you this. It's still important for us to stay humble and to stay that our local church that isn't a mega church, it's still so vital to the lifeblood of who we are and what we're doing in the marketplace. Because every Sunday, we need to commit to coming to the local church and to worship Jesus. Even if I'm tired, even if I've had a big week, I'm going to be here. Unless I'm in London and I can't be. Right? We've always said from the pulpit here, hey, come on. 
We understand people need to have weekends away. People need to have holidays. We get all that. We do that as well sometimes throughout the year. I'm not saying being silly, but can I just say this, right? Look at our example as an encouragement to you that if you have a marketplace dream, one, we're going to cheer it on because we're all for marketplace. We're not into Christians only being given significance because of what they're doing for the local church. We are big cheerleaders for your marketplace dream. But can I say this to you? Sometimes people, they go and they get encouragement from their local church if their local church is encouraging the marketplace dream. And then they, you know, they get all revved up at the beginning of the year. Come on now, we talk about goals and dreams and vision. And we talk about, you know, seek God and get your vision. And they write it all out and they get all excited. And they say, yes, church is pumping and this is awesome. And they're cheering me on about my goals and I'm seeking God. And I'm going to do this this year. And then my marketplace dream is going to grow. And we're going to go it. And then they go forth and do it. And then we go into February. And then we go into March. And it's like, oh, okay, everything I'm going for. And so I'm a bit tired this week, so I'm not going to go to church. And I've had this long week this week, so I'm not going to go to church. Can anyone see the oxymoron there? The very place that's here to cheer you on. See, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. We've got to always come back. Being a part of a true disciple of Christ, having a revelation of your now, your marketplace, your goals, everything you're going for, yes, we cheer you on. But are you linking it back to forever? Are you linking it back to that Jesus Christ calls you to be a disciple and a part of that is being committed and consistent with your relationship with your local spiritual family? Come on now. I'm challenging you. Because sometimes we justify things with our excuses. And I'm telling you that if we're here as an example, and we're doing the marketplace stuff, but we can still be here. Right? And this is why I'm highlighting. This is not our career. We're not building our, you know, thing. Right? (laughs) We just love the local church. And we love meeting with you. We love encouraging you. Yes, recently we've gone more focused with some nice excellence and aesthetics. And to reason, the reason for that is because there are some people on planet Earth that are attracted to aesthetics. And so it's a part of actually winning people, right? If you've got a really run-down looking church, then some people walk in and go, oh, great anointing, but it smells a bit odd around here, so I'm not going to stay. <laughs> but can I just tell you, we're not here trying to build this you know, thing. We're here, just like you, building a family. Come on now. We're here, just like you, um, wanting to have a real spiritual community where we're challenged, where we're edified, we're encouraged in everything else that we're doing in life. And we're pursuing and chasing after what we're called to do in the marketplace. Balance. So I want to say this to you. I think it's important right now, I believe prophetically, right? And this is why I'm saying this is a now thing. I believe that the Holy Spirit for our church actually wants to put his finger on a particular topic, and that's attendance. I really believe he wants to put his finger on the topic of attendance. With the balance of weekends away, holidays, all important, rest is critical. God himself is an example of that. But consistent attendance... 
is a part of you having a revelation of now and forever have got to be in your weekly focus. And bringing you back to the house of God every week is important because it always instills the why are we doing everything that we're doing. We're doing it for God and for God's glory. We're going to ask Pastor Jesus to come. I want to look at... Now we're going to go back and finish with the forever buffet. We've done now and forever, and then we're just done now. Thank you for giving me permission to hang a little bit more on the now. You can see I was quite passionate about that. Only because one thing that God has always challenged me to do is never expect anything from your church that you're not willing to do yourself. We are a church called to make disciples. And being a true disciple of Christ is taking responsibility for the issues and for the attitudes or the challenges that sometimes you have with his wife. So that you stay committed and you work through those things. Let's just talk about forever again. The coin of life. I've been around people that have it all. Everything you could imagine from a worldly success definition, they have it all. And yet, everyone say yet. And yet are still searching for the why behind the what. Sarah and I were down the Gold Coast a couple of weeks ago for my dad's 80, my dad's turning 80 this year. He got married. And we did U- Uber. Uber. We did Uber. You can tell I'm new to it. Don't even know how to pronounce it. We did Uber for the first time. And uh, it's just a humble place where dad had his wedding at Cav's Steakhouse on the Gold Coast. Little steakhouse restaurant. And so we did Uber. And then we, get, we go outside and there's a Range Rover. Four-wheel drive. Right? Probably one of the most expensive cars in Australia right now. Right? I'm thinking, my goodness, go Uber. <laughs> so we get in, and it's this guy who is a Gold Coast resident. He'd be in his early 60s. And as we drive from the restaurant back to where we were staying, there was a lot of traffic on the main road, so we had to take us a long way. And we got in, and he just started talking about his life. Because we kind of said, wow, this is a really nice car. So how'd you get into Uber? <gasps> oh, I, think, I think I joked, gee, Uber's really working out for you. <laughs> and he kind of laughed. He starts talking about it. He said, well, what's interesting is you're actually being driven by someone who used to be a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. As in close to the billions. He said, but just during the GFC, everything went pear-shaped. He said, I had uh, multi-million dollar properties. I had riverfront properties. He had a massive portfolio property, uh, property portfolio around Australia. 
he said uh, there was this one thing that he was taking into China to do with an invention to do with coal. He said it was massive. He poured a lot of his his uh, equity and his <clears throat> capital into it. And then the GFC hit. And everything that he had lined up, he said it was just about to break through. It was just to start to get the contracts and just to start to get the orders and just to start to get the sale. Just to bring in that massive cash flow that I needed to actually help to manage my debt. He said, but... In a moment, he got this realization that everything was going to go pear-shaped. And he realized that he couldn't do anything within his own power, within his own teaching, within his own wisdom, within his own network. He couldn't do anything to stop it. He got to the point where he had to sell off most of his property just to deal with the debt. And what's interesting is he said, but you know what? Even though I'm trying now to build some of my wealth up and you can see I'm driving Uber to help with the cash flow. He said, there's a massive blessing in disguise. And we said, oh, what was that? He said, well, up until that point, I had so focused on pursuing everything that I was trying to build that my wife and I just never took the time to have a baby. He said, we kept saying, maybe next year. Let's just get a few more hundred million. Maybe next year. We just kept putting it off, putting it off and putting it off. He said, and when this thing just crashed, he just had a realization. Why? Am I doing all this? For what? And he and his wife sat down and they said, you know what? It's time. Let's start having a family. So now they've got, the, now they've got two children. And in his own way, he just shared. He said, you know, the joy of those two children. Even though the pain that he's gone through and losing everything, he said the joy of those two children and the joy of family way outweighs the massive mountain of wealth that he was trying to build. So I want to go back to this story, the coin of life, that I've been around people that have it all and yet are still searching for the why behind the what. We live in a world that worships looking the part, don't we church? Think about it. We live in a world that worships looking the part. But I believe that all people, no matter how beautiful, talented, wealthy, or successful they are, are searching for something more. And in biblical times, King Solomon had it all too. King Solomon had power. He had extraordinary wealth, education, and influence. Yet he recognized how meaningless it all was in Ecclesiastes 1. Even the disciples in the New Testament argued amongst themselves about their personal greatness. Jesus redefines significance by teaching that service to others was our greatest significance. We are all called to be instruments in the hand of God, and it doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter how amazing and big and exciting your marketplace dream is. The size of your bank account, how big that is, or what suburb you live in, your life becomes eternally significant when you live for others. 
We live in a culture that largely is driven by lifestyle and comfort. And even for Christians, the commitment to attending, serving, and participating in the church is often across the board in Australia right now. It's low. It's not attractive. Attending church regularly is not attractive, even in Christendom these days, church. We try to fit Jesus into our busy schedule. We do the minimum. Obviously, I'm not talking to our church. I'm talking holistically here. But we try to fit Jesus into our busy schedule. We do the minimum and then wonder why we aren't growing in faith and are lacking spiritual passion or having ongoing issues. Lifestyle will generally take us down a path of least resistance. Think about it. What does the word lifestyle really mean? I just want to relax and be comfortable. Who knows that having relaxation and being comfortable throughout your week is important. You need pockets of that. Come on now. Who knows that getting good sleep is important? Who knows that managing your time is important? Who knows that having time with your family, quality time is important? Who knows sometimes just sitting down by yourself and talking with yourself and Jesus is important? Who knows sometimes just talking to yourself is important? Right? Who knows just going for a drive is important? Right? Who knows being able to sit on the beach once a year, right? In your favorite little chair, maybe with your favorite little drink in your hand is important. Don't get religious on me if you're not into alcohol. That's okay, but it's okay if people have a drink. Don't get religious on me, church. In case you're sitting there, oh, I don't believe he said that. Favorite little drink. What do you mean by that? He better meant juice, orange juice. Is there anything in that juice? If God's called you not to drink alcohol, that's awesome. Doesn't mean he's called someone else not to drink alcohol. Amen. As long as we're wise with that. Amen. Let's not get sidetracked with that point. But we all need rest. We all need time out. We all need relaxation. But I'm telling you before you that God has challenged me in my life since I gave my heart to Jesus. That that time that I choose to relax, beware of the temptation that it's not the time that you should be committing to just attending your local church faithfully every week. Oh, I won't go to church today because I'm going to go and relax. Oh, I'm not going to go to church today because I'm just going to chill out. Oh, I'm not going to go to church today because I'm just exhausted and I just, just don't want to go. Because the house of God is, part, is actually part of what is this holy day, the word holiday, holy as in you gather together with the people of God to get the word of God in you. You know, amount of times I've had people speak to me about how they've had a difficult week, but they just got to church. And they came up to me and they said, man, I really needed to hear that word. Wow, I really needed that prophetic word. Wow, at that time of worship was just something broke off my life. Now we spend two hours here in church. I know for some of you it takes, you know, 45 minutes to get here and I applaud you for that. 
But let's add that up. Two hours plus, let's go maximum, two times four, 45 minutes, which is an hour and a half. Three and a half hours in total. Maybe let's make it four. Let's be fair. Four hours. Someone tell me what percentage is four hours in a week? What percentage of your time? 2.2% approximately. 2.2%. Lifestyle will generally take us down a path of least resistance, which is all about us, 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 us. See, when you say that repeatedly, it turns into the word sus, 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 sus. And it is impossible to be significant and self-absorbed all at the same time. If you've had a tough week, church, you're not the only one. If you've had a tiring week, church, you're not the only one. If you've had a busy week, church, you're not the only one. If you've had a struggle in your week, you're not the only one. But we come together, despite all of those realities, to worship the Lord together and in unity. To get under an atmosphere of worship, to break off the tiredness, to get out of defeat and to get into victory. To receive the word that's been released from heaven to an anointed leader corporately for a time and season to feed your faith, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to release you into that next step, that next phase. I want to say to you, it's time for us as a church in this season to start to give the local church, the house of God, an understanding of the importance of the relevance that it has in your busy, stressful, tiring life. And I stand here before you with confidence of boldness, knowing that Jesus Christ himself is applauding me in heaven, bringing this challenging word right now. I don't stand here with hesitation. I don't stand here with fear. And I don't stand here with an apology to let you know that with boldness, I come before you with this message. Because I think in a fresh way, we all need to be challenged. That times of these end times are upon us. The days of this world are growing darker by the minute. The local church is the lighthouse that Jesus shines out of. And we need to make it a priority in our weekly journey. So we're linking the now and forever, the now and forever. I often think life is like a coin you can only spend it once and when people look back on their lives the most significant moments were spent with others choose life significance over lifestyle choose life significance over lifestyle and if your marketplace or your dream outside the four walls of this church is about significance great good and I want to cheer you on but don't allow it to become an excuse as to why you can't still place, play a role of significance in your local church. The very church that is called to cheer you on in your significance outside of the local church.
Choose life significance over lifestyle. Let us stand and you will discover the true value of the coin of life. I just want us to position ourselves just in a time of prayer as I just release this prayer over our church right now. Get hold your hands up. Hands wide. Lord, I thank you for this word called now and forever. And I thank you, Lord, for our now. And I thank you, Lord, that it's a great season ahead of us. And I thank you, Lord, that there's been decrees and prayer and vision and goals and dreams released for this new season. And I thank you, Lord, already it's sent a fresh charge into your people to go for things, to push forward, to believe for doors to open, to pursue their goals and their dreams, to grow from level to level, to strength to strength, to see areas in their life that were diminishing become strong again, to see members of their family that were dwindling to become strong again to see areas of their finances that were sometimes confusing to become clearer again. Thank you, Father, that you've been releasing in these first two months strategies and blueprints and an architect of all the dreams and the visions within this church community and this family in terms of their life outside of this church. I thank you, Lord, for the now. I thank you, Lord, for the pursuit of everything that you're doing. And, Lord, not but, but and, Lord, Help us this morning to get a fresh insight into the forever. And I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, this is a great and mighty church. And yes, it's a humble church because it may not be the biggest church in the world. It may not be the church with the most amazing amount of members. But I thank you, Lord, that this church is a great house. And Lord, you're building something significant here. I thank you, Lord, that just the other day, Lord, you had two people who came to us who said that everything that they worked on last year has come to to break through in their life. And I thank you, Lord, that there are people that are being discipled and people that are being strengthened and families are being restored and marriages are being strengthened. And there are kids that are being reconciled to their parents. And I thank you, Lord, there's been spiritual breakthrough where people are being chained and hindered in their mindset. And I thank you, Lord, that the love of God and the grace of God is being released in measure upon measure. And I thank you, Lord, Lord, that we're continuing, Lord, to believe for salvations and for people to come in and to be uh, nurtured and to be uh, released in destiny. We thank you, Lord, for the coming years ahead for this church to be a church of impact and to raise up teams and to send them out. But Lord, we thank you, Father, that every Sunday, the celebration Sunday, to come and to worship and to praise you and to be together and to encourage each other and to receive a word and just to pray for one another and to love one another and support one another just by being here. Father, I thank you, Lord, that that is important to you. And I pray, Lord, for a release of a focus right now that, Lord, this is us building forever, as in building eternity. Lord, the house of God, as small or as big as it is, Lord, is not something that you look down upon and go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just something little. But, Lord, it's something amazing. It's something great. And, Lord, I pray, Father, for a new release of honor and a new release of excitement and a new release of consistency and a new release of commitment that, Father, your local house is a place, Lord, not just to come when we feel like it. Lord, not just to come when we've got enough energy. Lord, not just to come when we've had a light week. But Lord, it's a place to come because it's not just about me. It's not just about my feelings. It's not just about my emotions. It's not just about my schedule. It's not just about my dream. It's not just about my week. But Lord, it's about a church family and it's about building a functional 
functional, functional love and a functional consistency and a functional commitment and a functional loyalty into a church family that's here to equip and train and release all of those people into what they're called to do for their family and their finances and their future. So Father, I pray right now for a charge of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, right now. I thank you, Lord, that anything that may have held back us from getting planted properly just falls away under your anointing in this place right now. Any old hurt, any old abuse from a lover church where our time was maybe abused, Whatever it is, Lord, you know what it is. Lord, even if it's just a few cobwebs left, I pray right now that it drops and you release people into a new season of freedom, of seeing their local church as their family. Their family. I thank you, Lord, that you love your family. I thank you, Jesus, that you died for your family. You died for the church. That, Jesus, you love the church, the people of God, so much. Beautiful Lord, release your peace right now into people's hearts. Release your healing right now, Lord, into people's hearts. I thank you, Lord. Beautiful God. You're so loyal, Jesus. You're so faithful, God. Your character, your motives, Jesus are perfect. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. And we just give you all honor and recognition right now as we close, Jesus, that we can put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Awesome. Let's give God a cup offering in this place.